Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we are relaunching an episode from our radio show that aired during Black History Month in February of 2017. During this broadcast on Radio Boise, we revisited a live story by Sherry Buckner Webb from 2015, and I interviewed her about that story. Now, three years later, the content continues to inform events today. Before we hear Senator Sheree Buckner-Webb's story, I visited her in her office at the state capitol to talk about Black History Month. Call to order, it's story time. Senator Buckner-Webb, thank you very much for agreeing to meet us today to revisit your story. You are part of Black History yourself, being the first African-American woman to serve in the Senate. The first African-American male or female, oh. to serve in the legislature. Have there been any events that you see as contributing to black history in Idaho since you became a senator? Well, I think some of the things that are very interesting is that we're starting to see, particularly in the last couple of months, how we are all really interconnected because we're seeing lots of populations that are feeling what the black community has felt for a long time. Um, there's a lot of treating people like they are less than and one down. And so I think it only strengthens my resolve and that of the people that I come in contact with not to let that go on. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a connectedness that is powerful, frightening, and empowering. How is Black History Month in 2017 different or the same than Black History Month in 2015? Well, I think some of the rallying cries are different. Now when people talk about Black Lives Matter, it is almost as frightening to some white folks as black power. Both terms connotate that there is power intrinsically in blacks, that we have power, that we matter. And when we talk about black lives matter, we're not saying that others don't have power for the black power or that other lives don't matter, but we're saying that we are part of the history of this world and this nation and our lives matter. Unfortunately, our stories aren't told. Celebrate black history. And part of it is know black history, know it. I have a stronger call for me to bring others along. I mean, that's one, that's one of the tenets of black history is that you couldn't go on the Underground Railroad without going back and bringing somebody else. You couldn't migrate to Western United States without bringing somebody back. Whenever I go away from Idaho, people say, oh, you're raising your kids in Boise, Idaho, you know black people. And I say to my children, that was really a blessing in some ways because by virtue of where you're born, you have opportunity, you don't have opportunity. If you're born in any, any inner city, large city, the opportunity to get out of inner city, whatever it is, are little and none. Maybe they had some challenges here, but the opportunities here are great. Are there any new changes since you've told your story in your family story? You know, it's been amazing. We've been just reminiscing. Uh, great aunts, uncles, cousins have brought new stories, have shared. You know, I sent it to all of them so they could hear it. Oh. And then we've gotten together twice, three times, and they've shared new stories with me and have decided we have to collect these stories. These are really powerful. It was funny and all that kind of stuff, but it was true. I'm so glad to be with you, and these are some rock stars over here. <laughs> and I realize when I say rock star, it kind of dates me, because y'all have new language now. I don't know what that is. I want to tell you about Dorothy. Dorothy is the daughter, was the daughter, of Florence, I'm sorry, from, of uh, 
Pearl Immeline Johnson and Luther Elmore Johnson. The stars came out the day she was born. The sun shone longer the day she was born. My grandfather was in love with that little green-eyed colored girl. My grandmother declares that he brought half of Van Buren, Arkansas home to see her that night, much to her great displeasure. Grandfather was a very outgoing man. My grandmother was not so much. And after seven children, she really had a little attitude. About all I could tell you that when I grew up, they lived on opposite corners in the same town. I never knew them to live together, but that's another story. And when they died, they talked about they'd been married for 65 years. Of course, they'd been living successfully on other corners. Dorothy was indeed a beautiful child, and her grandfather talked about it all the time, and even her brothers and sisters just loved her to death. They spoiled her rotten, rotten. When she was 75, they were, anytime she would act up, they'd say, she's the baby. <laughs> we have to look after Dot. Dot was sent to live with her sister, Leo Dell. They had great names. Leo Dell Vivian to live in Minidoka, Idaho. I heard that. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think Grandma really had an attitude about Mama because she sent her baby girl to live in Minidoka, Idaho with her older sister. And, and the reason Aunt Dell was in Minidoka was because she had found a wonderful railroad man, married him, and moved to Minidoka. Of course, she hadn't been to Minidoka before she married him, but that's beside the point. Shortly after Mother arrived, she was in, in, in a grade school then, Aunt Dell ran across another handsome, black, single man who had a good job with the railroad. So she quickly wrote home and told Aunt Ellen, that's Florence Ellen Eugenia, she needed to hop on a train and come on down. She did, they did. It was a love connection. They married. She went back home and the family started moving to Idaho. Most of the children came with uncles that were Pullman porters so you could get by free. A lot of them were walking like this so they could look like children, but they came on to Idaho. <laughs> Everyone had arrived except grandfather. Grandpa Pistol, they used to call him back there, and that's yet another story. Pistol Johnson, his son, Russell, Tommy Russell, who later was known as Cat Russell, Cat Johnson, Cat Burglar. Um, <laughs> And a couple of buddies, they hop, they hoboed. You know what hobo is? Is anybody, anybody too young? You used to hop on a train without a ticket and kind of, you know. Okay, but they were blessed, said my grandfather, because he was a man that was a deacon. He was a man of the cloth. They were blessed to get from Van Buren to Salt Lake City, Utah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then the police came down and snatched them off that train. And the blessing came because that night was a fierce, cold night. And Lord knows they would have died. They would have frozen. Were it not for the policemen coming to get them, they could have shown up died. And my grandfather, six foot two, that a long time ago, six foot two, he was a big man. He, he was humbled. And he prayed mightily while he was in his cell. He prayed and prayed. And he was praying. And the jailer was so touched by his fervent remorse that he said, and he called him Mr. That threw my grandpa a big one. Mr. Johnson, I know this is your son. I know you're trying to get to your new home. If you will promise never 
to ride a train without a ticket again. I will let you go. I will let you make your way to your family. Grandma said, oh, bless you. Just bless you and bless your family and bless your cousins, <laughs> bless your mother, bless everybody. He was just blessing up the storm because Grandpa was good, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so the man let them go and he and my uncle went arm in arm with their buddies walking down the street, praising God and jumped on the first train they could find <laughs> to get to Boise, Idaho. So at last, the whole family was here and Mama got to move out of Minidoka and they were all together in Boise, Idaho. So then we had like 10 black people in Idaho, you know? <laughs> Hallelujah! Shortly after Dorothy Dot, they called her Dot, they called her Dorothy, got to high school, she became Dorothy. She had a whole new attitude. She didn't talk about Van Buren or Minidoka. She was Dorothy. We moved to Idaho to experience blah, 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 blah. She had a game going too. She was good, she was good. And she was beautiful, she was vivacious. She was a green-eyed black woman. That's kind of an anomaly. You wanna go, who's your mama? Who's your daddy? You know, that's what you really wanna know. Who's your daddy? And she was a little pale, so they kept, mm -hmm. okay. And mother began to read voraciously and she took up smoking, much to my grandmother's chagrin. She was a sneak because smoking was very elegant then. She even had, what do they call it? You know, the long thing you put it in, uh, uh, puff, puff, choke, choke, puff, puff. She was very erudite. She loved all things cultured and decided she needed to get out of this sh shanty town and go to the city. So she went to New York, pissed her daddy off, broke her mother's heart for a minute. And uh, she, she, she spent a period of time there. She became a model. She's, only, she's a runt. I think she was really a hand model, but the story I ever heard was a model. And she did have beautiful hands, but she didn't ever say what kind of model, but I'm thinking. Okay. Because she did, she was a black woman. And you know how y'all... Uh, when she returned to Idaho, she was really in... She just loved all things French. So when she had her children, she named my older brother Charles. And then she had me, and I was Charlie. I could have all kinds of... Then I had a sister named Paulette. And then there's the bonus girl. She's Carol. We call her the bonus baby. The allure of the French way had gone away. Again, she was very erudite. She was very arrogant, actually. Um, my grandfather used to tell her all the time, there's nothing you can't do, and she believed there was nothing she could do. When she taught, when other mothers were telling their daughters to be polite, to be accommodating, you know, to be sweet, soft-spoken, and y'all do walk like this, because you try to keep the butt. My mother was saying, stand up, stick up out your chest. I got that part. Um, she said, stick out your chest, be somebody, disturb the peace. Where you see injustice, step up, speak up, do what you're supposed to do. My mom was an anachronism. She was way out of her time. She was a woman that would stand up and speak up to anyone. My father was a good old guy. Thank God he was pretty big, so in case she got crazy, he could, like, tell somebody, stay away from my wife. You know? <laughs> Don't forget she's my wife, and he was a good guy. He was born here, and they thought he's a good old guy. He doesn't know any better when he got that green eyes. Got her. You can be nice to Buck. Mother was an amazing woman. She was a warrior woman. And then one day, the warrior got very sick. 
And yes, she had smoked mightily, and she had COPD, and she was very ill. So she was in the hospital, and she got worse and worse and worse and worse. My mother had never been ill, but she had a terrible time. And so we've got the funeral stories going now. Uh, we were all called to the hospital. We've been going every day and hoping it would get better because mom's just a mighty woman. Nothing can stop her. And ultimately, the doctor told us that she would surely die. We brought cousins from California, from Oregon, from Washington, children, grandchildren. We were all there. And mother loved jazz, so we thought that had healing power. And her favorite song was God Bless the Child. So the windows were dimmed, and the lights were down low, and we were all there. And I had married a preacher by then. He was just praying. He was getting on my last nerve. Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there's something to say. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, she is not raising from the dead. You know, just, you know, and the, and the, uh, the doctor said, um, and we had God bless the child. God bless the child. That's God is own. It was really a powerful moment. I saw my father cry. Oh, he always was a sniffer about things with his kids, but he was shaking. He was crying. My brother was there. We were all just sobbing. The doctor told the nurse to undo all the things, and then finally he turned off the machine. And we were quiet, and the tears were flowing, and we were all speechless. And then in a moment, we heard... <coughs> <laughs> We all kind of stopped. And then we heard, <coughs> we all turned around, we're looking at mom, and she goes, <coughs> don't ever do that again. <laughs> now, I'm here to tell you, my husband thought he was hot stuff. But we know it wasn't him. We got that. We had to humble him a little bit. Okay, so Dorothy, Dorothy came back to us. We had a wonderful, we had many, many years of, she was going to jackpot. She thought she was going to jackpot. She's going to play the number. She's going to win big now. You know what I mean? And she was having a great time, still smoking, looking cool, having a bad time. I mean, you know, she's, she had all these girls in the North End. They would have their little toddies in the afternoon that went on till late, late, late. They'd have a great time. She was, she was really together. And the years passed, and then we were in St. Luke's then. No, we were in St. Alphonse's. But being uh, Idaho natives, Idaho proud, we try to be equal. So we've been to St. Al's the first time, so when she tried to die the second time, we went to St. Luke's. Same doctor. But it's COPD now, and she's frail, and she's little. My mom always thought she was a gazelle. She was a little tiny thing, but she thought she was a warrior. And it happened again. And because, you know, black folks really gather when somebody's dying. We, you, oh, we, we got to be there. Did you see how she looked, honey? Mm. What casserole are you going to make? I'm going to make a casserole, the death angel. We had an aunt, that was, well, a grandmother that was a death angel. Before the body was cool, she was already making a casserole. Anyway, <laughs> my mother was surrounded by the people that loved her. And again, the doctor said, honestly, I, I'm so sorry, kids. She's frail. There's nothing else we can do. Her, her, her organs are just in terrible shape. And we need to let her go. So we waited two days, and then finally, we, it was a Sunday morning, and he said, I, there's just nothing else to do. And I really love my doctor. I still go to the same doctor. That may worry you a little bit, but... <laughs> okay. Um, but it was a Sunday morning, and of course, the preacher man was at church. 
Because even if somebody died, he can't miss church. Because they take, they keep, you know, check off who's there. Okay. So we decided, you know, if you would just wait to remove the life support until my husband got home. And then we'd pray together, all of us, mostly him. Um, and then, and then we could let her go. And my, my, my cousin's father, my mom's brother was a preacher and we were, we were all going to do that. So we decided we'd been at the hospital a long time. We're hungry because you know, that's what you do when you're mourning. You got to eat. You got to eat and eat. Ooh, we got to eat. And so we went, all of us, I know it was alarming because there were a whole bunch of black people that showed up in that restaurant. We got served so fast. And of course, we were doing a lot of irreverent things what, that you do when people are dying because we have that, that dark humor. We're talking about who died the last time. Like, remember when Grandma died? Yeah, those two that lived on different corners. Uh, <laughs> Grandpa died first, and then Grandma died. We're in the hearse, and my grandmother says, my Aunt Ellen says, I'm so glad I was able to get Papa and Mama right next to each other in the cemetery. And we're going, whoo Is she confused? Nanny was trying to get rid of that man. Okay, okay. So... We finished eating, and we noticed the time. We went back to the room, and as I was walking up the hall, my husband's a loud man. I know Mr. McNorton can attest to that. I saw him up there. Um, and I heard my husband say, doesn't she look good? <laughs> she looks so good. And I'm thinking, because people always say, oh, didn't she look good when she's dead in the castle? And she, she sure looked good. I was, I was getting so mad, and the closer we got, he's just laughing. He's talking to a deacon, and he goes, isn't that good? Didn't she look good, Cherie? like hysterical are you a crazy black man what's wrong with you and he goes what's the matter with you and I go my mother's dying and he goes I'm just curious and somebody said Cherie what are y'all doing out there did you go get something to eat you better bring me something to eat my mother (laughs) this is true this is true this is true Many years later, still didn't hit the number. Dorothy really is sick. She's down to 98 pounds. We've been staying with her a long time. Long story. And in the midst of her finding out she has lung cancer, my father drops dead one day at home, and, and she deals with that. And she says, "Just I'm just going to imagine he's on a trip. I can't handle that, and I don't want to be alone. And we're, we're being with her. And we figure she probably said, yeah. You know, I'd like to stay, but I maybe have to go. And uh, but we were never to speak of cancer or death. And so I didn't say it. I didn't say it. So, <laughs> mom was down to like 98 pounds, and then finally the day came when we knew she was going to die. We'd had hospice and everything, and it was time. And my sister Carol was sitting at her feet with her hands on her legs. Uh, well, she was sitting on the chair. And then mom started gurgling. And you know, you've heard that stuff about a death rattle. It's true. It's very true. We heard it. My son and I were there. My son picks her up, sits her on the side of the bed. He has his arm around her one way. I have my arm around her the other way. My sister's there with her hands on her knees. And okay, here we go. So the rattle stops, and Dorothy stops breathing. But we know Dorothy, so we're waiting. <laughs> we must have waited about five, six minutes. Neither one of us saying anything. And then finally we say to Carol, would you go turn off, because she's on air, would you go turn off the machine? So Carol goes, she and I are starting to cry. My, bro- my, my son's cool. He's got it going on. It's all right. And he's still holding his grandmother. And we go sit down together, and I'm still holding. My son's holding. My sister's there. And we say, we've got to make some plans. I go, well, I'll prepare her. You know, I don't mean like the big prepare like you. 
And, um, and then, you know, you guys call the family. And then mom went, damn, turn the thing on. Turn it on quick. So Carol runs back and turns it on. And we sit there and we hold her. And then she really doesn't breathe anymore. So we probably waited about 10 minutes that time. <laughs> we turned it off. And did I mention that my mother was a little vain? Did I mention that? So my role is to make sure she has a clean gown and that there's absolutely no hair on her face. The whole time she was sick, is there any hair down there? Do I have my eyebrows on, you know? Comb my hair. I mean, I'm trying to dye her hair in bed. Do you know what that's like? Because she's got to be cute. Okay, I didn't do it then after she died, but I'm just saying. So I'm trying to prepare, and I've got her all set in the bed. And she looks totally beautiful, if you can look beautiful in death. And the um, mortuary comes, and they say, you need to get out of this room. This is going to be hard for me to take her. And I can remember asking my mother about my birth, and she was saying... We loved you, but I was in labor 72 effing hours. (laughs) I went blind. Your effing grandmother, that be my father's mother, was there the whole GD time. (laughs) She chose the SOB that was my doctor. It wasn't a pleasant thing. So, but I was thinking as she was dying, that woman who was with me from the day I was born, I needed to be with her when she transitioned. I could not leave her side. And so I think that's rough. I think that must be rough on the folks sometimes, trying to be gentle and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, I could clown on somebody if they dropped my mama. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? So finally, they roll her out, and they're, they're so careful. Those guys told me later they were sweating bullets. They, they got her in the thing, and they took her, and then we did the work we had to do. And the next morning, my sisters and brother and I, I don't think my brother went because he's a chicken. We went to the funeral home. We'd already taken the, we sent the clothes. We were ready because we knew it was coming. And so we went into the viewing room. They said they were ready for her. Dave Uragwin, we just love him at Summers. We, we, you know, all black folks go to Summers. And there's a reason, because they know what color we are. You, know, you don't want to come up looking ashy, you know. Okay. And they don't know what to do with our hair, but they know who to call. Okay. So we went to view her. And we're stealing ourselves for seeing my mother. And we walked in and we looked at her. And I tell you, when I laid her down, when they picked her up, she was just like this, not smiling, just pleasant, beautiful. We walked in, they lifted the thing, we looked, and she's going. <laughs> I'm serious, her body's like this, her head. <laughs> we go, holy, you. <laughs> so we're going, was she really gone when you took her? You know, we're just, and then he tries to explain that happens sometimes, so we're both going, we're trying. <laughs> After it's all done, there's no moving that head. We say, well, if she's gone, maybe you could just kind of crack it a little bit. And he said, can't do that. And wouldn't you know, not only does she get the last word, she's got her head turned, but it's turned in such a way, because viewing the body's a big thing with black folks. Oh, look at her. Uh, people dying every day. Look at her. She never looked dead before. But anyway, okay. But her head was turned the way that she would have been looking at the hinges on the thing. And nobody really wants to feel like their final goodbye is to your behind. <laughs> and so we're trying to strategize how to do this. So for, finally they have to put her upside down in it. And then when we really take her to bury her, they put her back. Because, you know, you got to have the thing. And, and, and. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Dorothy, 
I mean, so our final memory of Dot still has us left. There are a couple of things that Dorothy would absolutely not talk about. She's pretty free about everything. Don't talk about age, weight, or her middle name. She's gone from us. She's been gone for 12 years. I have my first, my son had her. Well, actually, my daughter-in-law had her. have my first grandchild. She's four. She's a green-eyed girl. And I know who her daddy is. <laughs> she has attitude. Her eyes are shaped like her grandmother. And we were having a family dinner one day, and we were all doing our thing. We heard this girl at three, at three years old go, Oh, my God! Sounded just like my mother. All of us turned around and said, Dotha May. Okay. So we grieved for my mother because that's what we do. We grieve in a big way. When we have home goings, when we send you home, we got to make sure you get there. We want music, on words. You just go on. Somebody needs to fall out. Somebody needs to get pissed off. We have to do all that. And then uh, we were at my mom's funeral. My young son, my youngest son, Philip, who was with her when she died, uh, said he would be glad to do the eulogy. And so the opening words to the eulogy were, at long last... Not everybody knew what that meant. <laughs> At long last, the truth can be told. Dorothy May Inez Brown Buck, uh, wait a minute, Dorothy May Inez Johnson Brown, Golden Brown, and then there was my daddy, Buckner died at the age of 76 and the church fell apart. Everybody was cracking up. <laughs> My mother brought lots of joy and some pain and I can say that she's departed from this place, but she stays with our hearts forever. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night receives support from the Boise Arts and History Department and is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsors, Boise State Public Radio and Radio Boise. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. Support this storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. Also, check out our YouTube channel. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story. <laughs>